Hey guys, welcome to the Bitcoin Fortress podcast, helping you increase your financial freedom. This is episode 40, uh, recorded here on November 13th, 2022. This podcast is for entertainment only and is not investing advice, so please do your own homework. Well, we got a lot to talk about this week. Uh, we'll do the normal market update and outlook for the financial markets and then get right into the Bitcoin news. Um, I'm going to spend a lot of time this week talking about the FTX crypto derivatives exchange collapse uh, that happened over the weekend. A couple interesting articles on that that helps explain what's going on there and um, uh, get into some price predictions because, of course, the Bitcoin price collapses every time there's an exchange because they have to sell Bitcoin to meet their obligations to their creditors, et cetera, et cetera. And um, so a couple takes on that. And then an uh, interesting op-ed piece on the regulator's role in this FTX uh, debacle. And then I'll wrap up with uh, just a quick summary. It's also in my blog post this week on the Pacific Bitcoin Conference, which was in Los Angeles uh, Thursday, Friday last week that I attended. And um, just my observations from that. So with that, we'll dive right in. Um, first on the market update, U.S. stocks scored their strongest week since June as a report on Thursday that showed slowing inflation raised hopes that the Federal Reserve might pull back its policy of aggressive interest rate hikes. The Labor Department data pegged the annual rate of inflation at 7.7% in October, short of expectations for a 7.9% rise and down from the summer's high of 9.1%. Stocks skyrocketed on the news Thursday in their biggest rally since the early days of the COVID pandemic in 2020. And U.S. Treasury yields tumbled, with the benchmark 10-year yield plunging to 3.82% after finishing last week at 4.16%. For the week, the S&P 500 surged 5.9%, while the NASDAQ composite soared 8.1% for the week as investors shook off the drop in cryptocurrencies to snap up oversold tech shares, and the Dow Jones average added 4.1%. Read a preview, oh, and then, yeah, then we'll we'll get into the preview next. Um, interesting they don't mention why cryptocurrencies uh, sold off, so very interesting. Uh, moving on to <clears throat> the um, look ahead, all eyes will be on the retail sector next week with big reports due out from Home Depot. Lowe's, Walmart, Target, and Macy's, the retailers step up to the earnings plate with investors looking for signs of the health of the U.S. consumer and just how promotional the holiday season may be with inventory an issue. Economic reports due out include a broad update on October retail sales and a read on producer prices. On the geopolitical front, President Biden will meet with Chinese leader Xi on the sidelines of the G20 summit. White House officials said the talks will cover a range of regional and global issues. Some of those discussions could have stock market implications, even if no formal agreements are made. On the corporate calendar, General Motors and Procter & Gamble will hold investor events and analysts have circled as potential share price catalysts. 
Okay, moving into the Bitcoin news. So the first uh, thing I'm going to go over here is actually it was posted in um, the uh, blog I follow, um, the SAT standard, uh, and I'll include links, you know, all the stuff that I talk about here in the show notes. Uh, and it was written by Matt O'Dell, who's a Bitcoiner. Uh, who did a, I thought a really nice job in sort of summarizing the, the whole FTX uh, collapse in fairly simple terms, relatively briefly. As you know by now, I like to keep things tight and brief and uh, a lot of information in a small amount of space. So um, I always appreciate uh, seeing things like this. So anyway, uh, without further ado, I'll dive into that. The story of the FTX collapse this week starts in 2018. During that bear market, SBF, who's Sam Bankman-Fried, the founder of, uh, of FTX Global, uh, his trading firm Alameda had solid success trading on BitMEX, Binance, and other exchanges. In 2019, they used that success to conduct an ICO for a token called FTT that would back a new exchange they were launching called FTX. The token had all the characteristics of a typical shitcoin scam with massive implied profits for buyers of the token, including socialized gains from the FTX insurance fund and an increasing price during the presale to encourage insiders to buy in early. Following the ICO, they successfully launched FTX. FTT holders were encouraged to use and promote the exchange to pump the price of FTT. As the largest holders of FTT, SBF and Alameda focused on pumping and propping up the price as well. This early inorganic growth allowed SBF to turn his focus to Silicon Venture Funds who were flush with cash, easy money fueled by the low interest rates and ready to throw it at anyone willing to tell a convincing story with no real due diligence. SBF would ultimately raise billions of dollars from these funds. The last valuation of FTX was $32 billion and use this money to continue to prop up the price of FTT. Meanwhile, SBF was using the FTT they had as collateral for loans. This allowed him to extract value from the pre-mined tokens without sell pressure hurting the price of FTT. Keeping the price of FTT up was absolutely paramount to the house of cards. He built SBF would tweet often encouraging retail to buy FTT. These FTT collateralized loans allowed F SBF to purchase massive endorsements, including the Miami Heat Arena, the Mercedes F1 team, MLB umpire jerseys, Tom Brady, Mr. Wonderful, and Larry David. Earlier this year, when the Luna shitcoin collapsed, bringing down rival fund Three Arrows Capital and other firms caught the contagion, it is believed that Alameda was also hit hard. SBF allegedly secretly lent Alameda billions of dollars of FTT to bail them out and then immediately took more loans out with that FTT as the collateral. Then SBF turned to regulators, his family and team already had deep connections in Washington coupled with the endorsements he purchased. He set forth a path to collaborate with Washington and build a regulatory moat for FTX to prevent competitors from accessing the U.S. market while protecting FTX and Alameda from U.S. government action. Understanding the strategy that SBF was playing, it became obvious to Binance founder CZ that SBF was using U.S. regulators to attack Binance's global operations. After a report surfaced via Coindesk last week that FTX and Alameda had massive loans against their FTT holdings, 
CZ saw SBS vulnerability as his opportunity and tweeted out that Binance would be dumping their massive FTT holdings on the market. The FTT price immediately started to tank and would never recover from an all-time high of $80 to worthless in less than a year. All the loans FTX and Alameda had with FTT as collateral were liquidated in cascading margin calls while users rushed to withdraw from FTX in what amounted to a digital bank run. FTX, Alameda, and their many counterparties throughout the industry scrambled to sell any assets they held to cover their losses, including Bitcoin, crashing prices across the board. Meanwhile, Binance has emerged even more dominant than before, accounting for over 70% of global cryptocurrency trade volume, up from 50% before FTX's collapse. This is a story of fiat incentives, shitcoin games, regulatory corruption, and counterparty risk that ended in inevitable disaster. It will serve as an expensive reminder that Bitcoin held in self-custody is unique in its lack of counterparty risk. You can easily and cheaply store it yourself, send it around the world without trusting anyone or asking for permission. Learn how to hold Bitcoin yourself and use it in a sovereign way. And so you probably do remember the Super Bowl ads and all the commercials and the celebrity endorsements. So, so you know, it was, it was so outrageously big and and sometimes the biggest frauds are so big and outrageous that that you can't even see them. And there's and and, and I would go back to Enron, uh, which basically caused the failure of the firm that I worked for. I worked for Arthur Anderson earlier in my career. Um, so big, such a huge Ponzi, and all they were they were reporting revenue, but they were really just you know loans and debt and uh you know they they had accountants they had auditors they had regulators they had everybody fooled the investing public until um it all collapsed and so that's unfortunately how these these things work and many people are comparing this ftx situation to um you know this generation's version of the of an enron or uh, long-term capital management or you know, something like that. And even the smart money uh, got destroyed in this one. So it's pretty, uh, pretty fascinating. But the people that really got hurt are the people that put their money on the exchange that now will never see that again. Okay, uh, then I got a couple interesting articles from uh, Zero Hedge. The first one here is, um, uh, and again, only adding to the drama here. FTX hit by mysterious $662 million outflow amid revelation that SBF implemented bookkeeping, quote, backdoor. Bloomberg said the exchange was hit by a mysterious outflow of about $662 million in tokens in the past 24 hours. These outflows came just hours after FTX filed for bankruptcy on Friday, and customers rushed to withdraw $6 billion over the last several days amid a failed Binance rescue deal. Ryan Miller, the exchange's U.S. general counsel, tweeted that FTX had begun moving digital assets into cold storage, adding the process was to mitigate damage upon observing unauthorized transactions. Bloomberg cited data from blockchain analytics firm Nansen, which said $662 million in withdrawals flowed out of FTX's U.S. and international exchanges. 
But in a separate analysis, research firm Elliptic noted 475 million had been stolen from FTX and transactions via stablecoins and other tokens that were converted into Ether. Reuters believes the amount of funds stolen from the exchange topped at least a billion dollars. Anson's Alex Svanovic said, it's unclear exactly who's making the transactions, but you wouldn't expect to see these on-chain trades at this time. He said FTX's main wallet was entirely drained of FTT. In the bankruptcy filing, FTX said that it had liabilities and assets of between 10 billion and 50 billion. Bankman-Fried tweeted Friday, I'm really sorry again that we ended up here. Hopefully things can find a way to recover. FTX's dramatic implosion comes as SBF had transferred 10 billion of customer funds to his trading arm, Alameda Research. Reuters said SBF had a back door in FTX's bookkeeping system, which allowed him to move customer money around without triggering internal compliance or accounting red flags. FTX was valued at $32 billion in first quarter of 2022. Now the value is likely zero as restructuring specialist John J. Ray III, who handles Enron's, ironically, who handled Enron's liquidation, has been hired to oversee the bankruptcy. And uh, then they have a bunch of, uh, they have a, a uh, video here of uh, Mr. Wonderful touting uh, FTX. There's a Giselle Bunchen uh, promoting FTX, uh, Tom Brady's wife, and then uh, Larry David, too. And then... Uh, that's pretty much it. And by the way, this article is posted on Zero Hedge at uh, November 12th, so yesterday. So I'll, I'll put a, put a links in the show notes. Uh, so not only uh, was there, you know, was it a bad business model, but there was probably a lot of fraud. And uh, we'll, we'll find out more, obviously, as, as things progress. Uh, the next article is also from Zero Hedge. This is also posted yesterday, and I thought it was quite interesting because it kind of talks about like the financials of of uh, FTX. So it says FTX held just nine hundred million dollars in liquid assets versus nine billion dollars in liabilities. Uh, as a video emerges confirming Alameda knew it was pilfering client funds. So on Friday, we first learned, courtesy of a mystery Twitter account belonging to an anonymous FTX insider, that the now bankrupt crypto exchange held just $900 million in liquid assets, including, among other things, a $7.3 million online bet by Democrat mega-donor Sam Bankman-Fried for Trump to lose, I guess, the 2024 election. Uh, and so it lists out, there's a little table in here, that the, the three top assets, that, or the three assets included in the liquid is uh, $472 million of Robinhood shares, um, $200 million um, Ledger Prime, and $228 million of US dollar, DAI, and DOT, Paxos Gold, so stable coins, basically. Uh, of the 900 million in liquid assets, the largest portion, or roughly half, was in the form of 470 million of Robinhood shares owned by a Bankman-Fried vehicle not listed in Friday's bankruptcy filing, which included 134 corporate entities. The liquid assets represent just 10% of the total assets, including 5.4 billion in semi-liquid and 3.2 billion in illiquid, and is a fraction of the 9 billion in liabilities at FTX, which will now make their way through bankruptcy court in the next few several years. The document, uh, which uh, Financial Times also tracked down on Saturday and discussed, 
uh, and which was shared with prospective investors before the bankruptcy, provides a detailed picture of the financial hole in the FTX crypto empire and suggests customers of FTX International may face steep losses on cash and crypto assets they held on the exchange. And speaking of the 134 subs that FTX listed in its bankruptcy filing, the Financial Times notes that the company had incorrectly listing entities it did not own in its initial filing. While, as we reported earlier, the exchange suffered an apparent hack on Friday night that drained its balances to zero. Aside from the spreadsheet shown above, the FT also noted another spreadsheet which references the $5 billion of withdrawals last Sunday, which, is, which, as everyone knows by now, were precipitated by CZ telling the world he would pull his money after the recent revelations and sparking a bank run on FTX, which the exchange did not have nearly the funds to defend against. The sheet also noted a negative $8 billion entry described as a hidden, poorly internally labeled fiat account. It is this entry that the prosecution's case will revolve around because Bankman Freed told the Financial Times the $8 billion related to funds accidentally extended to his trading firm Alameda. He declined to comment further. Earlier this week, he tweeted that FTX International had $4 billion in easily tradable assets when it faced Sunday's $5 billion surge of withdrawals. He had since deleted many of his fraudulent Twitter misrepresentations. There were many things I wish I could do differently than I did, but the largest are represented by these two things, the poorly labeled internal bank-related account and the size of customer withdrawals during a run on the bank, the spreadsheet adds. Shifting away from assets and its now irrelevant investment materials, FTX uh, Trading Limited, the company behind the main international exchange, stated $8.9 billion in liabilities, the biggest portion of which is $5.1 billion of U.S. dollar balances. Healthy companies typically have assets that match or exceed their liabilities. The spreadsheet says FTX Trading had a total of $9.4 billion of assets, but as it self-suggests, only 10% or so could be made liquid in a case of a crisis. Indeed, the vast majority of FTX trading's recorded assets were either illiquid venture capital investments or crypto tokens that are not widely traded, according to the spreadsheet, which cautions that the figures are rough values and could be slightly off. There are also obviously a chance of typos, etc. They also change a bit over time as trades happen. As shown in the spreadsheet above, the company's biggest asset as of Thursday was $2.1 billion worth of a cryptocurrency called Serum. Unfortunately, the market value of Serum was only $86 million on Saturday, according to CoinMarketCap, suggesting FTX's holdings are a fraction of what was represented if sold into the market. And while we now know that the end game was bankruptcy, the FT reports that according to the latest set of investment materials, SBF was seeking to raise $6 billion to $10 billion including from a convertible preferred stock paying a 10% dividend that could later be converted into common equity in FTX International at a valuation of between 12 to 15 billion. This is just a lower bound on terms investors can get the materials add. Uh, what about the liquid assets? Well, the FT report goes on to note that until Friday afternoon, Bankman Fried was looking to sell the 472 million of Robinhood shares, the largest liquid asset listed for FTX trading in privately negotiated deals. He was arranging on the messaging app Signal, according to an FT source. As a reminder, SBF acquired a 7.6% stake in Robinhood in May 
a transaction which delayed but did not halt the company's collapse into oblivion. As part of the attempted fire sale, Bankman-Fried was entertaining offers at a 20% discount to Robinhood's VWAP price, or about $9 per share, said an FT source who ultimately declined to buy due to perceived legal risks. Uh, goes on to say, but what is remarkable is that the proceeds from the Hood stock offering would not have gone to the now bankrupt FTX estate to satisfy pre-petition claims. Instead, the, sh the Robinhood shares were held by an Antigua and Barbuda entity called Emergent Fidelity, which is personally controlled by Bankman Freed, according to U.S. securities filings. Emergent Fidelity is not among the entities listed in Friday's bankruptcy filing. In other words, SBF, who is most certainly on the run at this moment, was hoping to fill up his personal bank account by dumping his hood holdings while giving FTX creditors the finger again. Finally, as we noted on Friday, the FTX spreadsheet also noted that in addition to $900 million of quote, liquid assets, five and a half billion of less liquid assets consisting of crypto tokens and 3.2 billion of illiquid private equity investments. There was an obscure $7.3 million bet for, quote, Trump to lose, which is part of the courts, for, uh, or is par for the course for any Democrat criminal mastermind. <laughs> The good news for the rest of the crypto space, there was no Bitcoin assets listed despite Bitcoin liabilities of 1.4 billion. That means the company cannot dump Bitcoin in the open market, but it also means that the odds of continued selling pressure are now far less than previously speculated, which is far more than one can say for Vlad Tenev, whose Robinhood stock is facing a world of pain when it reopens on Monday. And while the above will surely be Exhibit A for the prosecution, Exhibit B will be a video meeting in which Alameda Research's chief executive and senior FTX officials confirmed that they knew FTX had lent its customers money to Alameda to help it meet liabilities. Citing people familiar with the video, the Wall Street Journal reports that Alameda employees held a video conference late Wednesday, Hong Kong, in which 27-year-old Alameda CEO Caroline Ellison, also known as Caroline Capital, said that she, Bankman Fried, and two other FTX executives, Nishad Singh and Gary Wang, were aware of the decision to send customer funds to Alameda. Singh was FTX's director of engineering and a former Facebook employee. Wang, who previously worked at Google, was the chief technology officer of FTX and co-founded the exchange with Mr. Bangman Fried. Ellison said on the call that FTX used customer money to help Alameda meet its liabilities, the people said, assuring the 27-year-old teenager look-alike of a lengthy prison sentence. <laughs> Hilariously, after tweeting out all the incriminating evidence, the prosecution will need to slam dunk this case. Neither SBF nor Caroline Ellison returned Wall Street Journal phone message uh, and an email seeking comment. Singh and Wang didn't respond to multiple messages seeking comment. Ryan Miller, FTX's U.S. chief legal officer, declined to comment. Of course, it's not like they have anything to say and we don't already know. Well, we take that back considering FTX was instrumental in laundering Bitcoin into Ukraine. We do wonder just how much crypto money laundering between the U.S. and Ukraine will emerge as a result of the bankruptcy discovery and how long we can safely claim that Sam Bankman didn't fry himself. Uh, so that was quite an interesting article. Um, and again, we'll sure find out more as, as uh, time goes on on this thing, but it's, uh, it is a unbelievable 
mess. And I feel really bad for the folks that had their, especially people that had cash or cash equivalents or Bitcoin on the exchange because uh, it's not coming back. Uh, moving on, uh, so with all of the deleveraging going on, uh, the next article here is from Bitcoin.com. Uh, it was just updated, uh, looks like November, yeah, three days ago. JP Morgan expects crypto market to face weeks of deleveraging, warns Bitcoin price could drop to 13K. Uh, JP Morgan on FTX and Bitcoin's price. JP Morgan Chase analysts led by global market strategist Nikolaus Panagurtsgulu provided their analysis of the FTX situation and a price prediction for Bitcoin in a note Thursday. The analyst explained that fewer players in the crypto space are now able to rescue weaker players, stating what makes this new phase of crypto deleveraging induced by the apparent collapse of Alameda Research and FTX more problematic is that the number of entities with stronger balance sheets able to rescue those with low capital and high leverage is shrinking. Facing a liquidity crunch, FTX CEO Sam Bankman-Fried reportedly asked several major crypto exchanges, including Coinbase and OKX, for help. When they turned him down, he approached Binance, despite CEO Changpeng Zhao stating that his exchange is dumping all of his FTX tokens on its books. Binance originally said it would acquire FTX and provide liquidity, but after due diligence, the exchange walked away from the deal. Crypto investors are concerned about the solvency of FTX.com and trading house Alameda Research. Bankman Fried, who founded both firms, reportedly told FTX.com investors that his company needs a cash injection to avoid having to file for bankruptcy. JP Morgan cautioned that a cascade of margin calls is likely underway given the interplay between FTX.com, Alameda Research, and the rest of the crypto ecosystem. The Global Investment Bank warned that the crypto market could face weeks of deleveraging stemming from the crisis at FTX, noting that a period of upheaval could drive the price of Bitcoin down to 13 k JP Morgan's analysts use Bitcoin's production cost as a way of calibrating how much further the price of Bitcoin can fall. They detailed at the moment the production cost stands at 15000 but is likely to revisit the 13000 low seen over the summer months. Uh, interestingly enough, I'm going to go check the price right now. Uh, Bitcoin is uh, hanging in around 16487 So... Uh, I guess we'll see what next week brings, but uh, this article was also probably written a few days ago, so it was before some of the information came out on FTX's balance sheet in particular, but you know some of the uh, counterparties that are taking big losses may have to raise capital, and to the extent like the investors um, in the FTX, and so to the extent they have to raise money and they have Bitcoin to sell or anything else for that matter, they'll be selling it. Um, so that's the part that we don't really know. And we'll probably find out, I think fairly quickly, like probably within the next week or two. Uh, next article also from Bitcoin.com. Uh, and this was um, just updated, I guess, today as well. Um, Robert Kiyosaki, I'm a Bitcoin investor. When Bitcoin hits new bottom, I get excited. And this is kind of how I feel too. Uh, Robert Kiyosaki, it says, isn't worried about Bitcoin's price. Um, the author of Rich Dad, Poor Dad, Robert Kiyosaki says he is not worried about the price of Bitcoin as Bitcoin fell below 17,000 amid the implosion of cryptocurrency exchange FTX. 
Rich Dad Poor Dad is a 1997 book co-authored by Kiyosaki and Sharon Lecter. It has been on the New York Times bestseller list for over six years. More than 32 million copies of the book have been sold in over 51 languages across more than 109 countries. Um, I have a copy as well. And um, moving on, he says he tweeted, Bitcoin? Worried? No, I'm a Bitcoin investor as I'm an investor in physical gold, silver, and real estate. I'm not a trader or flipper. When Bitcoin hits new bottom, 10, 12K, I will get excited, not worried. He added that he bets against the Federal Reserve, the Treasury, the President, Joe Biden, while betting on gold, silver, and Bitcoin. Famous author has been recommending Bitcoin for quite some time now. Last month, he explained why he buys Bitcoin. In September, he urged investors to get into crypto now before the biggest economic crash happens. He recently warned that the stock, bond, and real estate markets will crash as the Federal Reserve continues to raise interest rates. He has also repeatedly cautioned that the Fed's rate hikes will destroy the U.S. economy. Kiyosaki believes that the U.S. dollar is toast, noting that Saudi Arabia has requested to join the BRICS nations. The renowned author said at the end, the end of fake money is here and predicted that the U.S. dollar will crash by January next year. Uh, so we'll see if those predictions are true, but uh, at least next year. But um, I would generally agree with him that I think the uh, we're we're getting to the end of the uh, global um, sovereign debt bubble, and um, you know I'm sure they'll pump it up a bit more and might be able to kick the can down a bit further. But at some point, uh, there's just too much debt, not enough money to pay the interest, and um, things are not going to be good. Uh, then I found kind of an interesting opinion piece uh, for this week out of CoinDesk. This is uh, posted on November 10th, uh, and it's by Daniel Kuhn, um, again on CoinDesk. Uh, the role regulators played in the FTX fiasco. Um, so he starts out, does... Does crypto need a backstop? Wednesday, in what in hindsight should be obvious, Binance pulled out of a tentative deal to buy out rival FTX, the crypto exchange founded by Sam Bankman-Fried that lost just about everything following a bank run. Binance CEO Changpeng Zhao said after a preliminary review of FTX's books that the risks were too big, holes in the exchange's balance sheet too large, and the loss of investors' confidence severe. That has left Bankman-Fried to search elsewhere for capital, monumental as considering other exchanges have already turned down appeals for investments or mergers. On Twitter, Bankman Fried said he'd do what he can to shore up users' losses before reimbursing investors, in part by winding down his hedge fund, Alameda Research. FTX, now worth approximately $1, according to Bloomberg's billionaire team, has had raised $1.8 billion from the likes of BlackRock, SoftBank, Tiger Global, and the Ontario Canada Teachers Pension Plan. Um, the potential contagion here is severe. Firms like Sequoia, Galaxy Digital are writing off millions of dollars. I think it's actually hundreds of millions of dollars. Solana, aka Samcoin, is buckling and dozens of projects in which SBF invested, often using the FTT exchange token, could have massive treasury shortfalls. 
As crypto learned with the collapse of hedge fund Three Arrows Capital, the industry is remarkably interconnected. In fact, emerging evidence suggests Alameda's financial troubles began after losing half a billion dollars to Voyager Digital, which SBF later bought out, which it collapsed after Terra imploded. The whole point of crypto was to enable people to be their own bank through self-custody and self-reliance. Instead, the industry has recreated the centralized financial system, bank runs and all. Instead of interacting directly with blockchains and peers, people park their funds on centralized exchanges. Instead of using trustless financial protocols, they put their faith in megalomaniac personalities with Wall Street credentials. In the wake of the most recent crypto crisis, three U.S. regulators, the Commodity Futures Trading Commission, Securities and Exchange Commission and the Department of Justice are reportedly deepening investigations into FTX, some of which had begun months ago. SEC Chairman Gary Gensler used this moment almost to gloat, noting the toxic combination at play at FTX in an interview with CNBC. He reiterated familiar lines that cryptos are securities and should be under his agency supervision, that the industry has been significantly non-compliant and exchanges should come in and talk to us. To some extent, Gensler is right in saying that the rules already exist and would protect crypto investors. It's notable that FTX US, the independently operated wing of SPF's trading empire, seemed to be solvent. Of course, it could blow up tomorrow. And actually, it already did. <laughs> but something tells me SPF wouldn't have played the same shenanigans with FTX US users funds as he seems to have done with the parent company, no matter how sleep deprived he was. And yet any account of the situation has to note the role U.S. crypto regulation or lack of it has played in the FTX fiasco. Coinbase CEO Brian Armstrong argued on Twitter that the simultaneously stringent yet unclear regulatory landscape pushed people like Terra's Do Kwon and Bankman Freed overseas where oversight is lax and taxes go unpaid. Some 95% of crypto trading occurs outside the U.S., he said. Armstrong is protecting his own interests here now that figures like Senator Elizabeth Warren and Gensler are calling for tighter regulation of U.S. exchanges. Clear rules are clearly needed, but have to be done right. Given the inherently borderless nature of crypto, if regulators get overly burdensome, they would only succeed in creating the next Singapore-based Terra or Bahamas-based FTX. Punishing U.S. companies for this makes no sense, Armstrong added. What also makes no sense is the SEC's history of enforcement actions. This year, the industry, as the industry burned, the SEC sued Kim Kardashian for promoting Ethereum Max, a coin few will remember, and something called Hydrogen Technology Corp, giving the agency's notably small budget. Even if these lawsuits are successful, it still comes across as a waste of resources. Another win for the SEC this time against blockchain-based streaming service called LBRY is likely a loss for all other projects looking to use tokens to reward users and fund development. According to legal experts, the judge overseeing the case may have set a precedent to punish any project that has a stock of its own assets, including Beanie Baby Maker Ty. LBRY CEO Jeremy Coffin in a New Hampshire home is a New Hampshire homesteader who intends to fight the decision, but how many other projects will just move elsewhere? And if so, and so if regulation is an insufficient backstop, and if the intermingling and increasing connections between crypto firms only serves to create contagion risks rather than fail-safes, where does that leave the industry? Could crypto benefit from a central bank, a buyer of last resort? Something tells me the answer is in returning to Satoshi's original proposition, and that is 100% correct, Bitcoin.
still around, still no counterparty risk if you hold it in your own possession. Um, you know, I've haven't been impacted at all by any of this um, because I hold my coins in self custody, and um, um, it's decentralized, and you don't have to worry about uh, megalomaniac CEO. Okay, so moving on, uh, just and again, just to wrap up, uh, this is, and I also um, posted this in my um, Substack as well, um, a couple pictures, but um, this is just kind of a recap of the Pacific Bitcoin conference that I attended. Um, so that uh, was there in Santa Monica last week, um, Thursday and Friday, and I just wanted to share some of the highlights of the event and some of the main things I learned. First of all, the venue was terrific. It was located in a hangar next to the Santa Monica airport. It was a small, intimate, and easy to meet people there. They had a variety of food trucks with some excellent options. My favorite was the TLT truck. Um, the Bitcoin coffee stand was amazing as well. Um, the occasional airplane taking off added to the ambiance, but really didn't distract too much from the main stage. One of the highlights for me was meeting and shaking hands with Lynn Alden, Greg Foss, Lawrence Lepard, James Lavish, and Robert Breedlove, who are some of my favorite thought leaders in the Bitcoin space. It was a great meeting, a diverse group of like-minded individuals from all over the country and the world who share a common set of core beliefs. I made a few new friends there, and I'm looking forward to seeing them again at the next conference. All the panel discussions were good, and I spent the first day moving between the main stage and the Swan Dome. Both days included segments on technology and culture in the 1980s, 1990s, and 2000s. The first day started with an excellent global macro discussion with Foss, Lavish, Ross, and Lepard and the Swan Dome. Other topics throughout the day included Bitcoin is freedom, future of Bitcoin technology, how all the financial models have been destroyed in the current financial crisis, a quote, tribute to Keynesian economics. If it weren't so bad, we wouldn't have Bitcoin. <laughs> Bitcoin's role in a hawkish world, Bitcoin tax strategy, why Bitcoin and not shitcoins, and also an interview with YouTube star, entrepreneur, and Bitcoin advocate Michelle Fan. They even had a panel discussion on memes featuring Lynn Alden, who is a master of those in the Bitcoin space. As they say, a picture is worth a thousand words. Adding humor also makes them more memorable and shareable. She thinks the Matrix Bitcoin memes are some of the most memorable ones simply because everyone who has seen the movie or heard about it could pretty quickly relate to the context. Memes are indeed a powerful way to convey important messages. Second day, I mostly watched the discussion panels on the main stage. It was a full day, lots of great content across a number of topics, including government regulation, debt markets, fossil fuels, Bitcoin lightning, Bitcoin mining, the coming monetary reset, and a new movie coming out called God Bless Bitcoin that helps explain Bitcoin in simple terms making a moral case for the impact this technology can and will have on the world. The two best discussions were saved for last when Preston Pish interviewed Lynn Alden and then the final segment where Corey Clipston interviewed Michael Saylor. Some key learnings from the event. Um, despite the FTX debacle ongoing, uh, and I, as I've talked about here a lot, uh, and the resultant Bitcoin price action, which I think it was down like 20% or something. Um, the vibe at the conference was calm confidence and an unwavering vision for the future. 
Um, second, the, the Bitcoin community is loaded with very smart, high conviction people. Um, Self-custody of your Bitcoin is the way. Multi-signature is best. Exchanges are a very bad place to hold your Bitcoin as everyone is learning each time an exchange fails. Stay, so, stay humble and stack sats. Bitcoin is a savings technology designed to protect your net worth, not a get-rich-quick scheme. Lower your time preference. There are some interesting ideas in the crypto space, but they were executed poorly on shitcoins, unregistered security offerings, too much leverage, and in some cases, outright theft from investors and customers. Ideas such as raising capital digitally, connecting creators and fans directly, and digital lending, all done ethically and the right way, should be reevaluated for execution using Lightning and the Bitcoin network. Price is not the same as value. The Bitcoin Lightning Network can provide reasonably secure, high volume, low cost, and anonymous payments on top of the Bitcoin base layer. There are many exciting applications for this technology that are now being developed, although it is still very early and the technology is still evolving. Bitcoin and US dollar stablecoins are important to support the fight for freedom against authoritarian regimes globally. Bitcoin is freedom money. The 6040 portfolio is dead. Bonds are return-free risk, and as Ray Dalio has said, we are at the end of the long-term sovereign debt cycle. Hard assets are an important part of everyone's portfolio, and that includes Bitcoin. The regulators and other high-ranking government officials in the U.S. have spoken, and Bitcoin is a commodity. All the other shitcoins are unregistered securities and will be regulated, likely heavily now in the wake of the FTX debacle. Bitcoin's characteristics, including absolute scarcity, are unmatched by any commodity. Bitcoin can help solve the stranded energy, i.e. the flared gas problem, and support development of more, more sources of energy. Fossil fuels are an important part of energy future, and we should be expanding their development, not turning away from them. Energy is the source of human prosperity, not the enemy of it. We shouldn't apologize for use of energy that allows human flourishing, and that includes Bitcoin mining. And last but not least, Bitcoin has a bright orange future. So that's a wrap for this week. Thanks for listening to the podcast. If you enjoyed the show, please like and leave a comment. Also, don't forget to subscribe on your favorite podcast app so you don't miss an episode. You can also follow my Substack at bitcoinfortress.substack.com. And you can follow me on Twitter. My handle is at Nick Reichert. And I will talk to you all next week. Bye-bye.